Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. Wednesday evening I began a teaching entitled Principles to Victory, and I'd like to continue that teaching. It's in line with our covenant relationship with God. We've been talking about the fact that we have a covenant with God, and we know that we have blessings and promises that are ours, benefits of the covenant, but it's no good to have them if we don't experience them in reality. We want to experience these things in reality. Amen? If we don't experience them in reality, then what good are they? What good are they? They're there, but we don't experience or enjoy the blessings or the benefits that are ours. And so we want to talk about how to apply certain principles so that we can enforce our rights and privileges and experience the blessings of God within our lives. These things are not automatically experienced just because they belong to us. And just because we have a legal document that states they're ours, they don't automatically become enforced in our lives. If you don't present your card to the hospital and let them know that you have certain coverage, then although you have it, if you don't enforce it and use it, you'll be, you'll, you know, you'll end up getting a bill at your house, won't you? Most definitely. You've got to go there and say, I've got coverage, and you've got to show identification or proof of that coverage, and then they'll take care of it from there. But if you don't go through the right steps and follow the right procedures, then you're not going to be blessed and experience the benefits that are yours. In Mark 4, let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege of studying your word together. We invite the Holy Ghost to teach us, to enlighten us, and to cause reality to come to our spirits, to quicken us according unto your word. We thank you, dear Father God, for utterance, to proclaim with boldness the truth of your word and the power of the Spirit. We say our faith would stand not in men's wisdom, but in the power of the living God and resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Mark 4, we're going to begin looking at 14, but let me just reiterate a few points. I gave somewhat of a combined translation on Wednesday night of 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, which states, and I'll just reiterate that, I'll read it the way I put it together, just a combined translation of other translations put together to make one. No temptation or trial has come your way that is not common to all mankind. God is faithful to His promises. And that's where the covenant comes in. God is faithful to His promises, to what He said to do. If He said He'll do it, then He'll do it. And He'll not permit you to be tempted beyond your power of endurance. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can come through it victoriously. And see, some people have been taught that God is the cause of the problem. That they've gone through certain things and certain sufferings because God wanted them to for a reason. And I've heard uh, many situations in many cases that are just absurd and unheard of. I re I'll say it again. Uh, one woman was raped, and at the end of her testimony, she said, Well, I know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And I thought to myself, how can anybody even think that? What's a misuse of Scripture? Misrepresentation, taking a Scripture out of context. And I've heard it preached countless times. All things work together for good. There are some things that work together out there, but, beloved, but it's not for your good. Plane wreck crashes and car wrecks and being raped or, or mugged or robbed. or what Those things aren't working together for anybody's good. Someone comes and robs your house or something like that, that's not working together for your good. See? But she thought that. She was so brainwashed and so uh, religiously taught that she actually thought, well, this must have worked together for my good. My heart went out to her. I'd like to get a hold of her and just say, you know what, that didn't come from God, and God didn't allow that, God didn't want that, God had no part in it. That was the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy. It didn't come from God. See, God's not the one who afflicts us and brings troubles and difficulties and problems and circumstances our way for the purpose of getting us to suffer, to, per to perfect us spiritually. No, we're perfected by looking into the Word of God. The Bible says the saints are perfected by the provision of the fivefold ministry where we are taught of the Lord, taught by the Spirit, taught in the Word, and through our practicing the Word of God, we are spiritually perfected or matured. These things that are out there can be classified as bread for us. 
when things contrary happen to us, if we, if we respond properly according to the Word of God, then we grow out of that experience. But that experience did not come from God for that purpose. We also stated that in line with that, Peter said, I'll give you a combined translation of 1 Peter 5, 8, that says, Awake, be on the alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling about looking for someone to devour. Withstand him firm in your faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Who's going about, prowling about, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Satan is, who is called our opponent or our adversary, whom resists steadfast in your faith. So it's apparent to me that God is the blesser, God is the problem solver, Satan is the, the problem causer. He causes all the problems. He's the one behind all that. Anything that steals, kills, or destroys comes from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus himself said that in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, to destroy. I came to give you life in abundance. Whatever comes in the form of life comes from the kingdom of light. And Jesus came to give us life, didn't he? And to, to deliver us from that which destroys, that which kills, and that which steals. And so there we have a dividing line between what God does and between what Satan does. God does that which is good and Satan does that which is evil. We must distinguish between the two, know what's coming from God, know what's coming from Satan, and then realize that God made us a promise. What's the promise? He'll make a way of escape. No matter what comes our way, no matter what situation, circumstance, trial, difficulty, problem, God said, I'll make a way of escape. He did. And in Psalm 34 and verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of half of them. I love the way you're taught in the Word. You just... You mean it didn't say half of them? How about three quarters of them? No. God says He'll deliver us out of all of them. Amen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. Well, and... In that same psalm, if you read the first part of it, I'm just reiterating, we did this Wednesday night. If you're, if you're, you know, you weren't here and you want to get a hold of that, just pick up the tape. But in Psalm 34, the first seven verses of that, the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then he went on to say that as he praised and blessed the Lord, he cried out unto the Lord and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his fears. Now listen carefully. When these things come our way, they produce fear, don't they? See, they produce fear in our lives so as to destroy our faith. But if we recognize where they're coming from and then begin to cry out into the Lord in prayer and praise, the Lord hears us and delivers us from all of our fears. We're not to fear Satan and what he can bring our way more than we are to fear and reverence the Most High God. See, we realize that when the word comes to someone's life, also comes responsibility and also comes satanic attack. And if we fear that attack more than we fear God, then we'll be victimized by fear. Our faith will be destroyed. God's power will be limited. And let's read that now in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 14. The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, now listen, when they have heard Satan cometh immediately, who comes immediately? Not God. Satan comes immediately. Why? To take away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for a time. Afterward, when? Affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. How many of you think that God afflicts us and persecutes us for the word's sake? Isn't he the one that's on our side that's trying to get his word into us? Who's trying to get his word out of us? See, he comes immediately when you get a hold of the word. You start hearing the accurate, unadulterated word of truth, all of a sudden, it seems like this satanic attack is unleashed over your life. Well, now you know why. I'll be frank about it. If you play church, you don't have a whole lot. 
You get into the Word, be prepared for battle. I say that not to produce fear, because we're not to fear what He can do to us. We're to fear God more than we are to fear Satan and what He can do. Get as much word as we can, knowing that the attack is going to come. But the attack is coming not for your sake, but for the Word's sake. See, you're not dangerous. You have no potential danger when it comes to satanic uh, things. But the Word in you is dangerous. And so when the Word comes to your life, the enemy doesn't like that. He's got to do something. He has to see to it that he attacks your life or afflicts you or persecutes you. Why? To get that Word out of you. Man, you start acting in that Word, you're going to rise up. You're going to destroy his kingdom. He doesn't want that. People around you start getting saved. He doesn't want that. People around you start getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He doesn't want that. People around you start getting healed. He doesn't want that. Blessed. He doesn't want that. Can you see that? You begin to speak for God. You begin to speak His Word out in power and in might. And beloved, He doesn't like that. So He's got to see to it that He silences you. Remember the Apostle Paul was out getting the Word out to the people? What happened? He was afflicted and he was persecuted. And you know what, beloved? We have yet begun to even understand or reason how much that man was persecuted and afflicted for righteousness sake. But you know, he's the same one that said, but my God delivered me out of all of them. He said, my God delivered me out of all the persecutions, beating with rods, left in the sea to die, without food. I mean, he was delivered out of every single persecution and affliction, which goes to show us that God's word is true, is it not? It's absolutely positively true and it can be trusted. We can believe God. And so you see, it's going to come because he wants to silence those that are getting the word out to the people. It's going to come. And that's exactly what Jesus said right there. It'll arise, but it's going to rise for what sake? For the word's sake. So your faith is being tried. Satan, the Bible says, will come to sift us as wheat to determine whether or not it is actual faith that we're operating in or fiction. Somebody else's testimony. This is what brother so-and-so did, and so I'm just going to do the same thing. He hears you speaking the same words of faith, but he doesn't know whether or not you believe what you're saying. So he comes along to find out what you're made up of. You endure but for a time, and then when persecution arises for the word's sake, he'll find out what we're made up of. we got faith on the inside, or are we just mimicking, echoing somebody else? That's what he's looking to do. And if we buckle under the pressure of circumstances and problems and, and all that, he knows they're not too dangerous. They're not too dangerous. We have to be concerned about them all that much. They're just mimicking other people. They haven't taken the time to meditate that word to put it on the inside of them so that it becomes a truth to them. They're just copying somebody else. Well, you know what? God is speaking to our hearts and He's saying meditate the word until it becomes a living thing inside you. Don't act on somebody else's experience. Get your own experience by acting on the word of God for yourself. Be confident in your relationship with the Most High. Be confident in your knowledge in the Word of God. And then go forth in your own personal faith. And when you are tempted, and when you are tested, and when you are tried, and the testing and the tempting and the trying will come, beloved, your way. But you'll go through it victoriously because God's going to make a way of escape for you. That way is found in His Word. He's going to reveal that to you. And you're going to act upon that Word in the midst of all the circumstance and trial and situation. And you're going to just arise victoriously and overcome. Now, if you would please... Turn with me to James chapter 1. And while we're turning there, let me also include in this that in verse 7 of Psalm 34, it was stated that the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him to deliver them. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them to, that fear God to deliver them. Now, if we fear God more than we fear the problems that come our way, we are assured that the angel of the Lord will encamp round about us. And the word encamp means to, to literally pitch a tent. To pitch a tent. Why? To set up a blockade. Why? To compel the enemy to surrender. Did you hear that? It's said over there in Psalm 34, 7, that if you fear God more than you fear man... If we fear God more than we fear demonic influence and powers, if we fear God more than all that other stuff that comes against us in life, then the angel of the Lord will pitch a tent right by us, surrounding us, for the purpose of setting up a blockade, a military blockade, 
to get the enemy to surrender. I like that language, don't you? That's exactly what he'll do for us. Sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The angel of the Lord pitched a tent in the burning fire furnace and just protected them. And the enemy surrendered. Did you know that? Absolutely. The enemy surrendered. Well, now, in James, and the book of James is to be considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. How many of you know that? It's the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. Gives to us certain principles in this first chapter. And also instruction and insight with regard to actions that correspond with faith. We have said time and time again that faith is what creates realities within our lives. We've got to know our promises. We've got to know our benefits. We've got to know our covenant rights. But knowing it is not enough. Now we must make them real in our lives in a practical sense by following the instruction of the Word. This book was, is, gives, gives to us a revelation of how there must be actions that correspond to our faith. And so if we say we believe God, in other words, then we're going to act a certain way. If we are really believing God in circumstances, we will act a certain way. Didn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego act a certain way? In what they did, in what they did not do, in what they said, in what they did not say. When they were told to bow, did they bow? No. They did not bow. So they didn't do that. So what they did was they refused to bow. They refused to fear the power of the king and his authority. When they were asked about who would deliver them, did they say what they should have said? Yeah, they said, our God can and will deliver us. And we're not even concerned about answering you in this matter because we know our God. And so they did. And they said that our God will deliver us because He's able to and He will. And so they said the right thing. They did the right thing. They acted in the right way. And as a result, God's Word was fulfilled. The angel of the Lord pitched a tent, protected them, delivered them. The enemy surrendered. They were promoted. And there was victory as far as they were concerned. And the kingdom of God was concerned in their lives. Now, beloved... In James chapter 1, we have this particular insight, and not necessarily am I putting these in any particular order, but just write these things down and kind of put them all together, and you'll find out how, if you follow these particular principles, you'll activate the power of God, you'll enforce your rights and privileges, you'll see to it that your benefits, which come to you by the covenant of God, are experiencing reality in your life. Because you see, beloved, we're all going to face trials and circumstances and afflictions and persecutions. But they don't come from God. They come from Satan. The objective is to steal the Word from our hearts so that we don't activate God's Word in our lives and His power. So we start living our lives according to lower powers. Having to trust in man. Having to trust in ourselves, our own human reasoning and understanding. But, praise God, we'd rather trust in the power of God. Amen? Amen. And this is how we do it. James chapter 1 and verse 2 reveals to us our first principle. And like I said, not necessarily in any particular order, but a principle. Number one, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How many of you know that God's not tripping us? He doesn't set out in the morning to trip His children to get us to fall into diverse temptations. He doesn't do that. But the enemy would have us fall, wouldn't he? Absolutely. He would set up certain roadblocks, wouldn't he? Put obstacles in our way to get us to fall. Absolutely. The first step, or the first principle to understand is that, first of all, we count it all joy. Now remember, these steps are going to go against human reasoning. These steps are not going to line up with, with our minds, with logic. These steps are spiritual. They're not carnal. And so, when we begin to walk in the light of these particular things, it's going to seem like these are ridiculous. They're, they're, they're meaningless. They're without understanding, without logic. But, beloved, we've got to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And this is how we do it. First of all, we are told that when tests or trials or pressures of life come against us and seemingly overwhelm us. You ever been there? With pressure coming from every direction. 
seemingly you're about to explode because of all that's going on in your life? This isn't talking about necessarily a temptation to commit evil, to do sin or something like that. It's talking about pressures that are coming against us. Afflictions, persecutions designed to get us to quit, to back off from the Word, to be distracted because the more we act upon the Word, it seems the more it comes our way. But remember, he said, count it all joy. Principle number one is to consider it to be a holy delight or command joy in the situation. The world did not give us our joy. The world cannot take our joy away. The only thing is, if we fail to to respond and command joy in the situation, then joy, although it's there, will not have its proper place. Sorrow will rise up. Frustration will rise up. Discouragement will rise up. And all these things will take over and push joy down. Our feelings will want to correspond to the predicament that we're in. When someone says something terrible to us and it cuts us, our our countenance sometimes is saddened or it falls because of what's being said. Our feelings respond to what we hear. If someone gives a negative report of health to us, it's like you get this gut feeling on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? And the bottom falls out. Those are feelings. If you get a phone call that says something about your child and you don't know what it is, all of a sudden, boom, you get this, it hits you. And your feelings are wanting to dictate to the situation. Probably the last thing you do when you get negative news is want to be joyful. According to your feelings, correct? But here... This lunatic comes along, seemingly, and says, count it all joy. Come on now, James. You're the brother of our Lord. You're telling me to count it all joy? A holy delight? But you see, listen to the nature of it. Command joy in the situation. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 10, it is a fortified place. It's God's stronghold in my life. If I command joy in the situation, then the joy of the Lord will rise up and put sorrow down, sighing down. None of that stuff ever is going to help us anyhow. But you see, joy will unleash the power and the ability of God on our behalf. And James knew that. I'm sure Jesus taught him that. To illustrate that, just think for a moment. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt's bondage, they were on fire. They were ablaze with the Spirit. They were singing their songs on the other side of of the Red Sea, remember? The waters were parted and congealed, and they went dry shot across the, the, the sea. All of a sudden, the Egyptians came to follow them. The waters came on top of them. They were all drowned. The enemy was all defeated. Miriam sang her song of joy and holy delight, praise God. Just magnifying God, singing her song. Wasn't very long before they started walking in the wilderness and from joy they went to sorrow because there's no water to drink. This God that just delivered them ten manifestations of his power that shook the very foundations of Egypt. And this God that delivered them can't provide water. Every place we go, it's bitter. Beloved, things will come our way to make life appear bitter. When the waters of life appear bitter, we're not to murmur like they did. James didn't say, my brethren, murmur when you fall into adverse temptations. Knowing that you're murmuring will get you killed. God will pronounce judgment upon you, you'll die in the wilderness. He didn't say that, did he? No. He said, command it to be joy. Now, they went over to the waters of Mary. How many remember that? They went over to the waters. They were bitter waters. There, were, there was no water to drink because all the waters were bitter. And they were complaining and, of course, complained to Moses. And Moses sought the Lord. And the Lord said, see that tree? Just toss it in the water. Which is a type of Jesus dying upon the cross. He makes life's bitter waters sweet. And they tossed it in. The waters became sweet and they drank. 
But God didn't want to hear all that complaining and all that murmuring and all that doubt and all that unbelief. We've got this insurmountable problem. We've been three days without water. We're going to die. All he wanted them to do was to look up to heaven and say, Praise God Almighty, you delivered us from the hand of the Pharaoh. You delivered us from the Red Sea. You brought us over on the other side and you've given us the victory. You are our God and now you think we're going to, you're going to let us, you know, die in the wilderness with no water to drink? He didn't want to hear that. He wanted them to say, We trust you. Amen. Glory to God, the God that we serve is well able to provide water for us. That's what he wanted to hear. And that's what they should have done. But because they didn't do that, see, they were getting themselves in trouble a little bit at a time. And they continued to do this in their experience in the wilderness. Well, beloved, it's like a wilderness that we live in, in a sense. Until you get to that place that you rise up to spiritual maturity, you're going through these particular experiences in your life. You make that break from Egypt, so to speak, which is the world, and you start living a brand new life. I found a new way of living. It's called the life of faith. And when circumstances come against your faith because you're growing in it, instead of becoming full of sorrow and mourning and murmuring and complaining, James is saying, count it holy delight. Command joy in the situation because you serve a great and mighty God. And now here's what we have to do, though. Let's read that whole thing. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, in verse 3, works patience. Knowing this, your faith is being tried. And the trying of your faith will work for you patience, which is stability. Spiritual stability. The word patience doesn't mean I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and suffering and suffering and waiting and suffering. It doesn't mean that. It means stability. It means an unchanging character, an unchanging attitude. In other words, these things are coming against me, but I'm not going to get down. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be overwhelmed with sorrow. No, I count it to be joy in my life. And I praise God, not for the problem, but for the victory. Because He's the problem solver. And for the power, and for the strength, and for His ability to be made manifest on my behalf. Knowing what? Knowing this, that this trying of my faith will produce patience. And through faith and patience, we inherit what? Promises. They're power twins. Faith and patience. Faith, believing God, and stability on being unchanged in our attitude, in our disposition, in our character when adverse circumstances come our way. Brother, that's not normal. How many of you know that? That is not a normal response to trials and tribulations and circumstances that are adverse. The normal response is, what are we going to do now? And a sad countenance and a fallen demeanor. But here he says, this is what you do. Principle one, count it all joy. It'll build stability, produce patience. You'll be stronger in your faith, just like a long-distance runner continues to exercise and exercise and run and run. Why? To build up endurance. If he can only go so far and he's going to run a long-distance race that's going to require him to go twice as far, what's he going to do? He's not going to go out there one day and say, let me see if I can make this thing. Is he? Would you do that? How many of you have ever run 26 miles in a marathon? Raise your hand if you have. How many of you like to go out tomorrow and try? Non-stop. I wouldn't suggest it. Before you do that, you better get out there and start running 30 and 40 miles. And then you'd be able to handle a 26 race with no problem. But until you can do that by building up endurance, you see, because halfway through or partway through, some won't even make the first mile. I, I would reckon, I don't know, but I mean. Why is that? Because you have to build up endurance. You've got to stay unchanged in your body throughout 26 miles, not just one. Can you see that? Well, why is it we can relate to that, but when it comes to spiritual things, we can't see that our faith may, maybe in patience we can last this long under that much pressure. But all of a sudden, when we get beyond that point, it's like a total breakdown spiritually. And you come unglued, you know, and go spastic, have a little spaz out time, and then, then finally get somebody on the phone and they'll get you back into the Word of God. And you start your walk of faith all over again. See? 
what you want to do is, is realize that you're feeding on this and these things coming against you will produce patience. Like a long distance runner, you'll build up your endurance and the next time a situation arises, you're going to have that under your belt. Just like you've, you've ran so many miles and that's under your belt, see? And now you can last longer without changing, without being uh, affected by the circumstances and you continue to appropriate your faith without wavering. Amen. So step number one, or, or principle number one, is count it all joy, knowing that the trying of your faith will work patience. And if you let patience have a perfect work in you, in verse 4, you'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You ever find anybody that didn't want? Wanting nothing. You won't want Because the Lord's your shepherd, you shall not want. In other words, you know how to tap into the resources of heaven, and God's provisions are being unleashed in your life, and you're experiencing them, and you won't want anything. Because whatever comes your way, praise God, you know how to count it all joy, and believe God, and thank God that He is, is, He helps you to be victorious in that situation. And you don't have a fallen countenance, and you don't have a sad demeanor, but you rise up unchanging, and through your faith and patience, you inherit the promises of God, and so you want nothing. Okay, principle number two. In verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And that principle number two is, ask for wisdom if you need it. And there are different words that are used or translated wisdom here in the Bible. And this particular one means, he'll show you the broad picture. He'll let you look into the true nature of things. In other words, you may be in a situation and you don't know what to do. Well, you already know to count it all joy. But, you know, you may not have the whole picture as to what's going on around you. And so, if you need to have understanding... Know that God does not upbraid you for asking Him to show you or reveal to you the broad picture. What's going on in my life? Remember Daniel went and prayed, sought the Lord, and after he prayed, nothing happened for 21 days. After 21 days, the angel came to him and said, I came for your words. The very first day that you offered your prayer to God, I was sent for your words. But for these 21 days, the prince of Persia stopped me. And fought with me. And then God sent the other angel to come down and, and do battle. And then he came and gave the, the message to uh, Daniel. Sometimes we don't know what's going on in the spiritual sphere. What is really happening out there in the spiritual world. And we need to look to God for wisdom or for him to give us the, the broad picture. To see the whole thing clearly. So we know what's going on. Because we want to be accurate when we use our faith. And so, beloved, God does not find fault with us. And that w- that's what our, the word abradeth not means in verse 5. Let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, it shall be given him. Ask God to give you the broad picture to show you what's going on. Once Daniel understood that, I bet you the next time Daniel prayed, he knew that if there was any particular delay, there were forces of evil trying to prevent the answer from coming. So he realized that then. And that's why he stayed with it. And that best explains to us what endurance or patience really means. Some would have given up after the second day, or the third, or the fourth. But he stayed with it for 21 days. Why? Because he knew that God was on his side. Because he knew that God had to answer his promise, his word, his prayer. So he stayed with it. He didn't have this attitude that gives up because of one form of opposition coming against him. See, sometimes I believe the world in which we live with with everything being microwave is destructive to us, beloved. We think everything must be on an instant level. In a lot of cases, that does happen. Things do happen instantly in our lives. But not everything is going to happen instantly. And so we have to then begin to, to mature spiritually and recognize we may be in for a battle here. But we are to fight the good fight of faith, praise God, knowing that it's a fight that we win. And so we count it all joy. And if we need wisdom, we ask God to give us the broad picture to show us all that's going on around us so that we can be more accurate in using our faith. And God will not find fault with us because we're asking Him to give us the broad picture. Thirdly, let's read on verse 6. But let Him ask in faith nothing wavering. And the third principle is that we are to stay single-minded. The third principle is we ought to stay single-minded. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Why is it that we should not waver? Because if we vacillate, if we are torn between two, let's say, courses of action, 
And we're going back and forth, wondering as to what we should do, going back and forth. We're like a wave of the sea being driven with the wind and tossed. And it says, let not that man, in verse 7, think he shall receive anything from the Lord. And so therefore, the problem, beloved, is not with the giver, but with the receiver. If the receiver is not working right, do we blame the source of power? If something happens, and let's say our radio is not working right, do we call the radio station? If it's our receiving receiver or the receiving end has a problem, we've got to get that fixed, don't we? You know, I think one day our eyes are all going to be opened up. We're going to realize God's the giver. We're the receiver. The giver is always operating. The power is always being sent out. It's on the receiver's end, you see, that the problem may exist. Let's just put those wires back together like they ought to be. Let's get that thing set up right. You know what? If we will, there's no problem with the giver. We're going to be receiving a whole lot from God. So you see, the enemy knows that, so he'll want to get us to do what? To waver. Can you see that? To be double-minded, to vacillate, to go back and forth. You know, oh, I thank God for helping me. And then we start reiterating the problem. You don't know how bad this situation is in my life. And we go back, oh, God, I want you to help me. But it seems like, I don't know, just I'm not getting any help. I just don't know. We're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's time to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to do that any longer. I'm staying single-minded. I gave that situation over to God. And as far as I'm concerned, He is in control of the matter. As far as I'm concerned, He is caring for me. I don't have the strength of myself to see it through anyhow. And I'm not big enough to see to it that it's going to work. But I know that God is, and so I gave it to Him. And it's His right now. And as far as I'm concerned, I've done my part. He is in the process of doing His part. And I know that God does a good job whenever you give Him something to do. His angels are out there working for me. See? So here we understand that we're not to vacillate or go back and forth, but we're to realize that God is at work for us. Why? Because we won't receive anything. There's a problem on the receiving end. And then the next one, let's read here. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable. Notice he's talking about being stable and being unstable. Endurance is stability, which means, or patience rather, is stability, which means unchanging, stable. This person is demonstrating what? Spiritual instability. Now, beloved, don't get me wrong here. Don't think, oh, dear Lord, I'm never going to make it now because I'm so spiritually unstable. Wait a minute. Every single one of us who comes to Jesus, who learns to walk by faith, is going to experience these things in our lives. Because when you first start learning how to walk in line with the Word of God... Your human reasoning will rebel against it. Your physical senses will rebel against it. Our logic will rebel against it. And we'll think we are lunatics for getting out of that boat. Do you think that those people that were in the boat watching Peter walk out on the water, you think they thought he was cool or crazy? There goes that lunatic again. Peter, what is the matter with you? Get back in this boat. Don't you understand that men can't walk on water? Do you see that? You're getting me out of that boat. <laughs> but why? Because everything within us will rise up against this. Everything within you will not want to count it joy. Your husband came home from work and just chewed you up one side down the other. Count it all joy. Right. After the baseball bat, count it all joy. <laughs> Principles. Principles. Stay single-minded, okay? Then let's re- go up to verse 12, because here we have our next one. God wants us to be stable. He wants us to remain unchanging even in in adverse circumstances. He wants us to develop spiritual character. Do you think Jesus was changed in the boat because there was a storm? Do you think Jesus, when they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He jumped up and says, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? How many of you think he did that? 
I don't think he did that. He woke up, cleared his eyes out, probably said, no big deal, on the inside, unchanging. See, it's easy to be that way, yeah, when it's calm. See, we're all like that. Oh, I'm just born again, filled with the Holy Ghost and power. The sun is shining so beautifully. Oh, it's a perfect temperature, 78 degrees. Oh, I just love this. I've got some money in the bank. I've got my health. I'll tell you what, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. And everything is just fine. Just let the wind blow a little bit. The, the child needs a new pair of shoes. You know. Or there's a, there's a breeze that brings some cold air your way. And a little sniffle starts to come. See, beloved, anybody when it's all at peace and there's a calm can stay the same way. It's when the storm arises. There's the true test. And you see, do you think that the devil or God brought that storm out there on the sea? You think Jesus rebuked his father? Someone says, we've got to suffer for Jesus. No, they weren't suffering for God or Jesus out there on that ocean, on that lake, or on that, that, see? No, that was a direct attack of the enemy designed to kill them. If you can't get that picture, I'm talking graveyard dead. Did you get that? Dead. Satan wanted them dead. Do you see that? So it's not God having them go through the storm. It's Satan wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen. And Jesus said, peace be still. Amen. He didn't change, but he changed the circumstances because he didn't change. You know, when you change to line up with the circumstance, it's harder to get the circumstance to change. I think I need to repeat that. When the storm comes and the winds of adversity blow... The evil report comes about our health or about our financial status or whatever. When all that happens and we change with the circumstance, it's harder to say, peace, be still. And get things back to normal. We've got to be prepared for the storm, see. Knowing, like Jesus was, that the storms of life can come and will come. Didn't Jesus himself say, when the storm comes? The wise man digs deep and lays a foundation before the storm comes. Why? And he, he builds his house upon solid ground because he knows the storm is going to come. He doesn't wait until a problem comes. He doesn't wait until an evil report comes. He, with his health, with his soundness of mind, looks into the Word of God and sees to it that he does his, his part diligently to, to establish himself on the solid foundation of the Word. He finds out his covenant rights. He finds out his privileges. And then he begins to exercise himself in the Word of God in small matters, knowing that bigger storms can come his way. And then when they come, he says, well... I've already tested and tried the Word of God. I found it to be trustworthy, faithful, and true. I'm just going to act like it's so in this situation. And you see, he doesn't change. He is not overwhelmed, overcome with the circumstance. And therefore, he can, with greater faith, say, peace, be still, like Jesus did, because he was unchanging. And so if we change the lineup with the circumstances, it's harder for us to say, peace, be still, and get back to, you know, to overcoming that circumstance. And so we must learn these things in advance. And that's why we're teaching them right now. So... In verse 12, we have our next one that says, Blessed is the man that endureth, endureth. Here we have a word that reveals to us our next step, endureth temptation. This man perseveres. He persevered. So our next step is, after staying single-minded, persevere. And what it means is that we persist in an undertaking. Regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, regardless of what is coming against us, we persist in the matter. Whatever undertaking, whatever it is that we are involved in, engaged in, we stay persistent. We are not giving up. How many of you know the enemy, if he is anything, is persistent and relentless? Absolutely. Well, we become more persistent. We stay in the Word of God. We stay, stay hooked up with our covenant rights. And we endure. And that's where our stability once again comes in. 
We are persistent. We are not going to cave in under the pressure. How do we develop that in our lives? Didn't Jesus say the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Didn't he say that? Pray that ye enter not into what? Temptation. In other words, pray. Through prayer, which produces spiritual fortitude, builds us up on our most holy faith as we pray in the Holy Ghost, we develop within ourselves strength spiritually. We generate miracle power. And as we continue to praise and to worship God in situations that are adverse, even though the flesh may be weak, the Spirit then has the ascendancy over the flesh and its powers that are released enable us to see that storm through to the end victoriously. And so we endure. We persist. We stay the same way. We're not changing in our attitude. We're not changing in our disposition. We're not changing in our character. We are going to see to it that we continue to the end. Be persistent or persevere. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Your eyes are upon the promise, and you know that it's yours as you persist and persevere, even in the face of temptation. And then our next step is a very important step. Verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, tested, or tried. The word temptation there, translated tempted, means tempted, tested, or tried. Let no man say when the pressures of life come against him. Let no man say when he is under severe trial for his faith, affliction for his faith, persecution for his faith. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of who? Let how many men say that? No man. Flick on your radio on the way home. I guarantee you'll hear it. God was doing that. No, no, don't even say that. You know it says right there, let no man, and that's a command, let no man say that God was, the, was responsible for that. Let no man say when he is tempted, tested, or tried, that he is tempted, tested, or tried of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is not the force behind our temptations. God is not the force behind our problems or difficulties. If I read the book correctly, folks, God's on my side. And if God be for us, who could be against us? And you know what Isaiah said in 5 and 20? In case you don't know, I'll read it to you. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and that call light darkness and the darkness light. What's he saying here? We're kind of confused. We're blaming God. We're blaming God for what the devil's doing. And on the other hand, we turn that thing around. Some credit the devil for what God does. I've heard that happen. God healed somebody and someone said the devil did it. Christians said the devil did it. They didn't believe in healing. They didn't believe it was for today. And so when the person got here, they said, oh, it was just the devil that did that. No, God's in the healing business. God is the, in the doing good business. Woe unto him that says, that calls evil good and good evil. Let no man say when he's tempted, tested, or tried that God's the author of that, that God's behind that. God is not the author of that. God does not want that. We are going through those things in this life. Why? Because of man's fallen state. This takes us all the way back to the beginning where we discover that man rebelled against God. And when man fell from the presence of God, he became subject to all the powers of darkness. And all this upheaval that came to us in this realm of life came as a result of man's fall. The reason why we have all these particular tragedies and circumstances and situations. What about insurance companies that call tornadoes an act of God? No. That was an act of fallen man. Inspired by demon spirits. And as a result of the fall, we are exposed to all these particular things. 
And sometimes we try to you know, fully understand why did that happen. You know, in some cases, the reason why uh, someone can be born with a defect or something like that is due to the fact of the fall. And as a result of the fall, that is the general reason why these things happen. Through the fall. But in some cases, we can be in positions where we pick up germs or diseases or something like that. Do you see that? And when that happens, we're exposed to that. Our bodies can be exposed to that and pass it right on to a child. Those things can happen. We understand that. But the direct result is the fall of man. And that's why these things are here. But let no man say that God is the one responsible. He's the author of that because He's not. God is the one who desires to help us. Now, beloved, if we have this frame of mind or attitude, what's going to happen to us is we're going to block out the power of the enemy and we're going to shut down our faith lives. And God's not going to be able to do what He wants to, to, to get us out of the problem or the difficulty because we're blaming Him. Who's going to want to resist God if God is the one who's caused our problem? No one's going to resist God because He's God. And therefore, we limit His power because now He's not going to help us. Because we wouldn't dare resist Him. We're not going to stand against that because God wants, wants us to have it. I said it once and I'm going to say it again. Anyone who takes medication, they go out there to take it. Why? They have a desire to be well. Is that not the motive for one to take medication in their body? Because, let's for just a small example. You have a headache, so you take an aspirin. What's, what's, your, what's the purpose of that? You want the pain to go away. Right? But here comes a preacher that says, God wants you to suffer that head pain. You're doing it for Jesus. I'm giving you just a simple you know, illustration here. You should suffer for Jesus. Because sickness and disease and all that is just suffering that you have to go through for Jesus. And so you've got this head pain. Now I ask you, if God gave it to you and God's the force behind it, can that little pill, can that little aspirin take it away from you? Can it? Can that little thing be bigger than God? If that's God's hand, just sit down and buckle on it because I'm telling you right now, you're not going to remove it. You can't take it away by a knife or anything else. Because if God is the one behind that, if God put that on you, there isn't a doctor in the world that can help you. Did you realize that? And besides, if God wants you sick and you're sick because God wants you sick and they really believe that, why go to the doctor? Why go to the hospital to get better? To take yourself right out of the will of God. That doesn't line up. So let's, let's not forget these things, beloved. Let's remember, God's not the author of it, otherwise you couldn't escape it. But since God made a way of escape, praise God, we can have victory. Can you say amen? amen. He's the one that helps us. Next one, number six. And this is right here, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away. Number five was don't blame God. Number six, don't give in to the flesh. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, we're tempted to be drawn away from the Word of God and the principles of faith. Why? Because of our flesh. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Don't err, my beloved brethren, or don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begat He us with the Word of truth, that we should be a first fruits of His creatures. In other words, God's not behind the problem. God's not putting pressure on our lives to get us to sin, to walk away from the Word, to be distracted. If all those things are coming to afflict and persecute us to get us away from the Word of God, God cannot be author, authoring that, can He? Obviously not. Well, therefore, what happens is this comes against us because the enemy knows the makeup or the frame of our flesh. He knows that if he puts enough pressure upon us, we'll be distracted from the Word of God. Why? Because the flesh wants to be in control. Have you found that out yet? How many of you had to drag your old flesh to, to church here today? And sometimes in the morning to go to work, that old flesh, does it want to, want to get up and do its thing or does it want to stay in bed? You know as well as I do, if you give it an inch, it'll take them out. Right? And then it feeds on those things. You realize that? You know, give it one cookie. <laughs> You'd have been better off not giving it any. Give it one chip. Give it one meatball. And you say, this is useless. No. It doesn't stop at one. You'd be better off don't giving it any. Don't give it any. Because the more, you know, it gets once more. 
You start feeding on all this stuff and woes unto me and all that. And all of a sudden, it wants more. It wants more. It wants more. It wants to be in control. Everyone's flesh is that way. And so we'll be distracted from the Word of God. See? And the flesh will take over. And instead of walking in faith, we'll walk according to our fine physical senses that want to dominate us. So, beloved, the flesh wants to operate on the principles of logic and human reasoning, but the spirit wants to operate on the principles of faith in the Word of God. Spiritual powers versus natural powers. And if you allow the natural powers of the flesh to overtake and, and overcome us in the situation, you know, and dictate to the, to the situation, then we're not going to walk in line with the Word of God. We're going to be distracted and it's going to overcome us and keep us in bondage. It's only when we rise up in faith and start declaring that regardless of what my flesh wants, I'm not going to be distracted from the Word of God. That affliction, that persecution was designed to distract me, and I know that I'm going to persevere. I'm going to speak the Word. I'm going to stay in faith, praise God, because my spirit man is in control. Now, that's what God would have us to do. So don't blame Him and don't give in to the flesh and don't be moved by our feelings. Number seven, is found in uh, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, that's a principle that we probably all put backwards. We're too quick to speak, very slow to hear, and very quick to become angry. But here it says, that, and it's a principle, and just, just for what it says, be quick to hear, listen, slow to speak, watch your words, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, when things are coming against us, and if we're not quick to hear, but we're quick to speak, then what's going to happen is, we'll be spouting off some things and seeing some things like Job did. Job starts saying some things. Finally, after all the people came around and surrounded him, he starts saying some things, start questioning God about things. You know what happened to him? God put him on a show, on display, and said, I'm going to ask you some questions, Mr. Job. How would like God take you aside and just say, let's sit down and talk. I want to ask you some questions. And if you can answer them, answer me. If you can't, be silent. One of the questions he asked him, by what cords does the earth remain suspended in the universe? You want to answer that question? How does it stay there and do its thing? What about the sun, moon, stars? He started asking him all these questions. He was silent. I'd rather just be quick to hear what God said, slow to speak about what my flesh wants to say, and therefore slow to wrath and get angry with God. People are angry with God. They blame God for their problems. And they really are. And they think that He is the cause because they've been taught that. Well, I'm here to declare to you today, God's not the cause of your problems. He's the problem solver. So don't get upset with God. Get angry at the devil, if anybody. And don't tolerate it any longer. And then number 8 is found in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We need to get our souls saved or our minds renewed to the word of God. This is referring to our attitudes, our views, our disposition. They all need changed. Why? He's saying that all this attitude, these people thought that God was the cause of their problems. These people thought they were going through all these difficulties because God was authoring it. He was behind all that. And he said, look, folks, God is not the cause of your problems. You're supposed to be counting it all joy because the enemy is coming to do all this. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't vacillate. Don't be double-minded in this. Just persevere and persist and stay true to the Word of God. Don't be distracted by your flesh and your senses and your logic and your emotional feelings. Don't maintain that disposition that says that, well, this must be God, and, and start murmuring and complaining like they did way back there in the wilderness. Just get your mind renewed and get your soul saved. Your soul saved means I've been born again, but my soul's not saved. My way of thinking is wrong, in other words. And we all need delivered from our corrupt reasoning faculties. And so this deliverance must come through the renewing of the mind, through the Word of God. He says, receive what meekness, the engrafted Word that will save your soul or deliver you from that corrupt way of thinking. Now, that's exactly what he wants us to do. Get our minds renewed to what God said. And as they're renewed to what God says, we'll have a new way of thinking, a new disposition, a new spiritual attitude, and, and we'll have a, a change of heart and mind for the better. And God's Word will be first. And then finally, last but not least, it's found in verse 22. And here, he just summarizes the whole thing by saying, Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Don't be self-deluded. 
but be a doer of the word. And really he was saying all this defines someone who is a doer of the word of God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.